Now listen, this is a great morning because we have none other than Philip and Holly Wagner, our founding pastors. Our founding pastors, hold on. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet and give one minute, just one minute. Keep it going for one minute. Keep it going for one minute. Come on, keep it going. We wouldn't be a church without our founding pastors. Hey, we love you so much. Everybody's so excited you're here. And uh, we did have some people make a, a, a video for you. They wanna, we want to show you a video of people thanking you for everything you've done for the church. Wow, wow. I've been attending Oasis for 19 years, and I've never been closer to God. Thank you, Pastors Philip and Holly. Love you so much. I've been at Oasis for nine months, and it has been a place where I have found community. Uh, some of my best friends go to this church, and I couldn't be more proud to call Oasis home. We made lifelong friendship at Oasis. We got married at Oasis. We even dedicated our baby at Oasis. We've done over 17 years of life at Oasis. Thank you very much for everything, Pastor Philip and Holly. Thank you so much, Pastor Philip and Pastor Holly. Oasis would not be what it is today without your stewardship for 35 years, and I just appreciate you so much. We've been at Oasis since July of 1986. This is my family. Oasis is where I met Jesus at four years old, and we've been planted here ever since. I love Oasis kids because all my friends are there, and I get to play Asher and Little Eden and Big Eden. Thank you, Pastor. For our entire family, Oasis has been a foundation of community, friends, family, and leadership. I love that everyone's friendly and the people that work there care for others. And I want to thank you for everything you've done for Oasis. Our lives have forever been impacted because our son stepped out and became a part of the worship team and met his wife right here at Oasis. So thank you so much. We love you. Woo -hoo! Thank you for your generosity and your leadership. Um, and I can't wait for you guys to meet this little guy. Thank you, Pastors Philip and Holly. In the eight months since we've been attending Oasis Church, we have definitely felt the impact of your 35 years of ministry. Thank, Thank you, you Pastors, Pastors Philip and Holly. Holly. Thank you, Philip and Holly. Thank you, Pastor Philip and Holly. We love Oasis Youth. Thank you, Pastor Philip and Holly. Thank you, Pastor Philip and Holly. Thank you, Pastor Philip and Holly. Thanks, Pastor Philip and Pastor Holly. Thank you, Pastor Philip and Holly. We love, we you, love guys. you guys. And I love you. Bye. We love you guys so much and welcome back. Good morning. Oh, it is so nice to see faces that I love. I just am so grateful to be here. And, um, you know, it's just people have had babies since I was here last and going to have babies. And some of you have gotten a little bit older. And I know I have. Yeah. I wasn't going to go right there first, but yes. You guys can be seated. Yeah, you way. can. Anyway, so we are, uh, we're honored to be here. We love, um, just, I, I remember actually the first time we stood on this platform, the Sunday that we got this building, and was so honored to be here then, and, um, and I'm honored to be here now with you. I consider it an honor to have given oof, a million years of my life. That's what it feels like, building Oasis. 
Um, so thanks for making this your home. And I actually just want to say thanks for coming to church. Um, you know, Christianity is a communal faith, and sometimes it's we start thinking, oh, it can just be me and God, but it, God didn't intend it that way. Way back in the garden, he can, we were, needed each other, right? And so thanks for gathering together. There's something pretty powerful that happens when we gather in community. So thanks for doing that, and thanks for making you know, Oasis part of your day and your time. And now I will shut up so you can have your turn. Right. He told them, he goes, because Julian said he was giving me the mic first, and Phil goes, don't start my clock if you give her the mic. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, do good, honey. You remember, right. you remember how to do this right here? I think so. We'll okay. see. Okay. <laughs> we'll find out in about 20 minutes. Well, it's so great to be here today um, and being in the first service and seeing some of you out here, just uh, friends and family and just uh, so many great memories. And uh, it seems like it's been so long since we've been able to be back together um, I, I did get to speak on, on video, um, online and stuff, but um, it's just great to be back here, and um, it's just exciting. What's been happening with us is that uh, during this last couple years of the pandemic, a few months ago, we uh, moved to Texas, and uh, we live in outside of Dallas, a little bit dry, just a little slower pace of life and a little more gas per dollar, you know, <laughs> those kind of things. But um, we're there probably two-thirds of the time, but I come back here often because I have grandkids to visit and, and their parents. <laughs> but, um, but my family's doing great, and I love them so much. Uh, my son Jordan is uh, just doing great, and and for over the years, he really helped lead uh, providing clean water for thousands of people with uh, generosity.org. And Paris is doing amazing and um, a great, great speaker in, about her faith. And I'm just I'm so proud of them all. And, um, but I'm not, I don't identify as a Texan yet. So... Uh, you don't have to worry about that. I'm still a Dodger fan. I'm, I'm still a Rams fan. I'm, I mean, Chargers. Or, I mean, um, and of course, the great NBA team of Los Angeles, the Clippers. And... Uh, but, I, you know, I respect the Lakers. They're, they're good. You know, they got the guy who starred in Space Jam 2. So <laughs> they're, they're a great team. Um, I'm here, though, to talk about Jesus. And uh, I believe with all my heart Jesus is present here. And uh, today I pray that there will be a shift in his presence. And what I mean by that is that we all know about the, the Bible teaching of God's presence, that he's omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere at the same time. So we know that he will never leave us nor forsake us and that his presence is here. But many times that is profoundly a conviction of faith because we don't always feel that presence, but we know it's true. We know he promised. We know what the word says. We believe it. 
and it helps sustain us. But there's something else about God's presence that you might call the manifested presence of God. That means it's, his presence is manifested so we feel it or we experience it. He touches it. Jesus walks in the room. You know, we read the biblical stories where people are marked by this unveiled presence of God. And that is so significant and so powerful in our life. And um, we need that more than ever now. It's clear that we live in a day where there's a lot of difficulty and, and crisis and trials and tribulation to um, so many of us because of the COVID pandemic, the economy, the um, threats of war and uh, the record number of health issues, emotional health and, and drug addiction and gender confusion, sexual confusion, all kinds of things going on. And it's easy for us to lose hope. And I don't know about you in particular, but sometimes I, I've felt hopeless. And I'm reminded about God's presence and I make a shift in, in what I'm expecting or anticipating because I know that that's not the final word the darkness that we might experience. And, um, you know, the emotional health of people, either, I think it's a combination of we're talking about it more, but it's more evident now. And um, there has been a recent study on the emotional health of this Generation and, and they speak of a generation in, in frames of 20 years or so. And um, so we want to see this next generation come into influence and leadership with, with uh, uh, hope and strength. But in this current generation, the research has shown that self-harm is up over 300% from the previous generation Anxiety up 94%, depression up 84%, and in the last decade, suicide is up 30% and tripled for young girls. So the circumstances that we're in can feel dark, and the question is, what do we do about it? How do we fix it? And it can't be politics. Politics has its place, but it's not the answer. There is great anxiety and hopelessness. We need to see hope. There is hope. I don't know what you personally are going through today, but my prayer is that you will experience the manifested presence of God in your heart and soul so that you walk out of here with hope. There's a, there's a quote from St. Francis Assisi that says this, all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. We each have the light of Christ on the inside of us. And we're told in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Today, I want to talk to you and uh, tell you a couple of stories 
And it's a little bit about my background and my experience in life because I came to a faith in Jesus during a major spiritual awakening in our world. You could be 40 years old or younger and have very little idea about what I'm talking about or have never experienced it. So it's important that I come and share something, not to live in the past, but project what could take place now and in the future. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live, and you'll be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. So my experience in the journey of faith began as a young boy. My dad was a pastor of a super conservative um, church in Greenville, South Carolina. And so you can picture a, long, a young eight, nine-year-old boy going to church every time the door was open. And uh, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, revival meetings, whatever it might be. Our particular brand of denomination was very fundamentalist, and we were very focused on how right we were about most issues and how wrong everybody else was. So I had a lot of confidence. <laughs> and, um, but you could just picture this little blonde-haired kid with a clip-on tie going to church every time and having my shirt tucked in in some locations and not others and sitting there and my feet don't hit the floor and the pew and uh, trying to stay at, pay attention. And, but uh, while I remember a lot about what we were against... I did have moments um, that I remember that were life-shaping. There were moments where there was a touch of God. I may not have been able to articulate that. But in many ways, as a young boy and hearing s stories about Jesus, it was like Jesus was like this great imaginary friend. But he's so much more than that. But I remember now a hymn that we sang or a story that a preacher told, or some Bible story that resonated or connected, and those were implanted in my soul. And um, I also remember at that time behind that little church, I got my first kiss. <laughs> and I don't know what my dad thought, but I was for it. You know, I wasn't against that. That was life-shaping. But at some point, our church had this big strife and division, and people were accusing my dad of things, and there was a church fight and a church split, and crazy stuff took place, and, and uh, it was kind of all banished overnight, and my, actually, my parents ended up getting divorced, and we moved to California. And uh, so for years, um, that was kind of tucked away in a young boy's mind and soul. And the summer of when I was uh, 17, when I was going into my senior year in high school, a friend of mine uh, invited me to go to a church in Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel. 
And he said, you should come to this church. There's all these hippies going, and there's something cool happening there. And I mean, I didn't know what that meant. Just like, oh, okay, I'll just go with my friends. But um, what I did was I walked into something that was beginning that I had no idea what it was all about. It was uh, the beginning of an awakening that swept the world. The epicenter was here in Southern California. It was uh, started there in Calvary Chapel, but in short time it was here in L.A. and Northern California. And it's, it's almost like how there's a fire and the wind blows, and you don't really know how those sparks get to other places, but other houses or other things light up in flames, and it's sweeping into Europe and all over the world. And uh, what's interesting to me is in 1968, and when uh, I was uh, 1970, when I first went to church there at Calvary, the social dynamics were very similar to what I just described to you in talking about today. There was uh, political division, distrust in government, racial tensions. It was a time that Martin Luther King had been assassinated and there were riots and, and conflicts and, and a lot of anger, a divided nation. Um, so many of the things that we talk about, the fear of war now, we were in the middle of the Vietnam War and people were protesting and while we see gun violence today, we, we had serial killers and we saw Kent State University people shot on campus and so it's interesting to me that as dark as we might see things now it was then it was like a, a, a ground prepared for something fresh a move of God to bring hope in a dark time there were drug problems and sexual revolution and and um, you know just so many and there was a, a, a lack of interest in organized religion. People always comment about organized religion. You, you should experience unorganized religion. That's, <laughs> that's even worse. So, um, but here I was. I walk into this little chapel that would seat like 200 people, and it was packed. There were hippies and barefoot people in there sitting in the aisles, and they're sitting on the front floor and up on the platform, and Chuck Smith was the pastor. He was like this dad figure, and he had this big beaming grin and just talk about Jesus. And, and there was something in the, pre, in, in the present, in the atmosphere. And it, when I went there, I, I just was so impacted. I wasn't even sure what this was, but I, I was like this Jesus that I knew so much about in my head that I learned about is alive. He's like he became alive to me. And um, I recommitted my faith to Jesus. I was baptized, Chuck baptized me in Corona del Mar Beach. And, and uh, this young uh, youth pastor, Lonnie Frisbee, was uh, just a wild man that was incredible. He prayed for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and th that combination, Chuck and Lonnie, was interesting. Lonnie was kind of the guy that would jump into a pool and do a cannonball and splash everything. And then Chuck would be one who could teach you how to swim properly and, and, and like not hurt other people on the process. But it was, a, it was a wild combination. But it's like one day, all of a sudden, everyone's talking about Jesus. It was on the news. It was in the newspaper. 
And it was uh, something everybody was talking about. Have you heard about these drug addicts and hippies talking about Jesus? Jesus freaks, they used to call us. Um, and Jesus people, oh, they're clapping for Jesus freaks. All right, good. Uh, let me show you. Time magazine in, 19, uh, in the 1960s came up with a cover that said this, is God dead? That's how dark it was. I wonder if people wonder if Jesus is really alive, if he's really real today. And then after this Jesus revolution began, changing people's lives, it, it went from drug addicts and hippies to business people, leaders, uh, all different statuses of life. And then another uh, cover of Time magazine said, the Jesus revolution. So I guess the answer is no, he ain't dead. <laughs> because we began to see miracles and you just never knew what was gonna take place. Chuck Smith said, I need, uh, before all this started to take place, his church was real small and he's like, these people, young people need Jesus and I need to meet some hippies and maybe we can reach out to them and he had this young friend and, and he goes, oh, I'll bring a hippie for you to meet. So this guy who he was talking, he used to drive down Pacific Coast Highway picking up hitchhikers that's different. <laughs> That's changed. And uh, so he would just pick up hitchhikers so he could tell them about Jesus. So he picked up this hippie, and then he started to talk to him, and that hippie said, well, I'm not really going anywhere. I just wanted people to pick me up so I could talk to them about Jesus. <laughs> that, that hippie was Lonnie Frisbee, and he goes, you need to meet my pastor. And so he comes, and there were Bible studies every night of the week. I'm telling you, Monday night, Chuck Smith spoke. Wednesday, Lonnie spoke. Friday, Ken Gullickson, who began the leader of the Vineyard Movement. And Saturday night, there were concerts. And it's where modern-day contemporary Christian music or contemporary worship began. Uh, it was, uh, we were just used to only singing hymns. And then it just, it was this radical change. Just suddenly, everything, a generation was altered. And I got to be a part of it, experiencing it and, and seeing people come to Christ. Um, you know, Lonnie was, was quite a wild guy and miracles really operated in his life. And sometimes people would come to church stoned. And I remember this one time I was sitting in service and he's like, if you want to receive Jesus, stand up right now. I mean it and come up here. This one kid stood up and he was like, whoa. And he started walking down the aisle. I don't know if it was drugs or the Holy Spirit, but he got up to the front. And um, I just saw so many wild things from people being healed. And, and um, literally, it, they used to have bumper stickers that would say, honk if you love Jesus. So people would honk, and, and they would put up one finger. And everybody, everybody knew what that meant, even if you weren't Christian. One way to God. One, Jesus is the way. And even today, you can honk on people and people will show you a finger. <laughs> it's a little different, but you know, it's, there are some similarities. And, uh, but I went, you know, I remember as a kid going, it's like, okay, time for youth group, let's go to church. I was like, dad, can't, do we have to go? During this time, I was like, when's the next service? When's the next Bible study? I couldn't wait to get to church. I, was, I understood what Psalm 122 said. 
I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And what's, what's transpired from that is um, e even today, there's 1,400 plus Calvary Chapel churches in the United States alone, many hundreds in other countries, and, and the Vineyard Church movement came out of that, and there's more than a 1,000 of those spread all, all over the world, so many churches. Actually, there's a movie gonna come out uh, in February that Devon Franklin's involved with called The Jesus Revolution, so this is, I'm not here to promote that, but <laughs> I was excited about it. So it just became uh, about walking with Jesus. I know we used to talk about religion versus relationship. It was a great awakening, and our, I just believe our country needs a move of God in this time of hopelessness and darkness. It would not be a shock that there are many of you in this room who have struggled with anxiety or depression or weariness or loss and all kinds of things and and you might feel like hopeless and i just want you to know that god has another move god has another move in your life in your circumstance in our world in the church maybe people feel like i don't know if the church is really the answer these days you know i can watch online you know god's called us to make disciples not make viewers so we, we want to reach people and start where you can, but we want to see what God can do when we gather together and, and just uh, allow God's blessing in our life. I think, wouldn't it be great if it started here in Southern California? Wouldn't it be great if it's the, something new and fresh started here in Oasis in Los Angeles? Um, Lonnie became a friend of mine and um, spent time with him. And he actually spoke for us uh, at Oasis in the early days because the, I'll just a little side note is that he was the catalyst to what took off in Calvary Chapel. Then when the vineyard was doing more, it was a, a offshoot of Calvary Chapel and they were more focused on the Holy Spirit. Then he was part of the catalyst of the vineyard just taken off. So I said, hey, come to Oasis. We got 50 people. <laughs> We need your little, little, little blessing from God here. But, but I have a couple of pictures just for fun to show you. Uh, this is me and Lonnie at one of our locations there in, in uh, Beverly Hills. And we didn't have the same reaction that the other churches did. But here, the next picture is uh, him preaching for us. And then this is a picture of me from back in the day. <laughs> That's my hippie days. See, I had a little St. Francis of Assisi shirt. I was really spiritual. <laughs> so, um, but the reason I'm talking to you about this, as it said in Deuteronomy, is not to live in the past, but what can we learn that was going on there? And listen, God decides when there's an awakening. God decides when there's a big move. You know, one man plants, another man waters. God gives the increase. But you and I can create a personal renewal. We can create a personal revival in our own soul and prepare ourselves and be ready for what God wants to do, can do, and might do through us. And that's what I'm excited about. Um, here's some things that I agree with that some other leaders have reflected on what we observed 
during that time of the Jesus movement, the Jesus revolution. And one thing I would say is that we saw in that day was there was a great sense of expectancy in the people. It's one thing to say, come on, let's all expect something great, but there was a, an expectancy there. We, we were interested. We knew something amazing was going to take place. Lonnie was kind of a wild guy, so he, he used to pray on the way to church. Lord, let something unusual happen to me so when I get there, I can throw it in my sermon and preach off of that because it was all very spontaneous. It happened often, but there was expectancy during the worship. People were there early. Back in the day, you didn't just show up and walk in during worship. If you, you wouldn't get a seat. So people were there 20, 30 minutes early. They were singing songs on their own. And, and so during the message afterward, whatever it might be, there was just an expectancy of, oh, I don't want to miss what God might do next. And I, I would love to see that expectancy in our soul um, in, in today's church and in our life. Secondly, uh, one of the things that was really a focus was Bible study. Chuck used to teach through books of the Bible. And so when I was lead pastor here, I kept trying to come up with cool titles so you could remember what I might be talking about. I don't know how good I was, but Chuck would just teach on Romans <laughs> for like four months. You know, that was the title, Romans Part 12. But it was, we would just learn so much and it would just be going through verse by verse and chapter by chapter and we'd go through John and Mark and uh, everybody wanted to have that study of the word. And it was important because the Holy Spirit is doing great things and unusual things and the word of God gives us guidance, gives us guidelines, gives us protection and strength and, and God blesses his word. And secondly, as I referred to before, the worship or I guess thirdly now, is worship was a key part of this, and the contemporary worship that we experience now came out of that, but it was quite an unusual thing. Another aspect was the focus on evangelism. It was like we each had this personal responsibility to share our faith. And I don't know about you, but um, as a lead pastor, I'm sharing my faith publicly, regularly. But sometimes I found myself just trying to edit myself in my day-to-day -day life. Like, how heavy do I want to be? Or how pushy do I want to get? Maybe I should just hold back. Maybe I'll just be a nice guy. But back then, it was like, you got to tell people, Jesus, right now, because this is the end days. That was another part of it. We talked about the second coming of Jesus. Chuck made it sound like, if you're not careful, you won't get to your parked car because Jesus will come back any second. <laughs> I mean, literally, people would uh, not pursue college education, not pursue different things, because Jesus is like coming back any minute. Why waste that? You know, by the time, you know, seven or eight years passed by, maybe people went back to school. <laughs> but I know all the single people were like, yes, Jesus is coming back, but could you wait like a month? I'm going to get married. I just, just want to have biblical sex before you come back. And we, we thought it was going to happen any second. But there's like that, there's an intensity. You know, the Bible tells us we're in the last days. So we've been in the last days for like 2,000 years. So it's now laster than ever. And uh, 
But there is a, that part of just like, let's get one more person saved. Let's introduce one more person to Jesus. And nobody was counted out. We just, just think of the person you'd think is the furthest from God, the most, you know, has the most animosity against religion or church or Jesus or whatever it might be. Those people would drop like flies in the presence of God. It's like somebody's like, ah, I hate this. I'll go with you just to get you to shut up. They go to church. Wow. And then next thing you know, they're starting a Calvary somewhere. So the Holy Spirit was so significant. The Holy Spirit was powerful, but I think in our day, we have often as leaders wanted the move of the Holy Spirit so bad that sometimes there's a lot of hype or a lot of pressure or a lot of forcing it or trying to like, well, let me get things going and maybe the Holy Spirit will pick. And we just want the real thing, don't we? We just want the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And he reveals Jesus to us. And, and so we're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and he blesses our, our life. And I think that was the part I remember too is just the, the simple walking with faith. That's another, uh, walking with Jesus. It's, it's a simple ingredient of this Jesus revolution was it was a day-by-day -day walk with Jesus, a simple transforming faith. And honestly, as I reflect on it, I don't remember a whole lot of preaching about drugs is wrong or premarital sex is wrong. Or It was more like how much better Jesus is than anything else. And so it was more like, yeah, I don't want to do anything that would hinder Jesus in my life. And so the other stuff would just fall away. And uh, so it was just a focus on following Jesus and honoring him and serving him. The most important part of our faith is an awareness of the abiding presence of Jesus, a daily walk with him. Made me think of what, what Julian said earlier with what you guys are, are focusing on, be present, be connected, be generous. To me, it sounds like the simple faith in following Christ. Jesus said in John 15, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus told us on the Sermon on the Mount, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he, God, will give you everything that you need. This is a focus on him. I want you to know, in closing, that your faith will be challenged and tested. Somehow, in the, the joy of realizing how much God wants to bless us and to provide for us and bring joy into our life. I, I figured, I felt like if the better believer I was, the less problems I'd have. Or the better pastor or the better leader, the less problems, the, the more, you know, people would say, well, new levels and new devils. You know, and I was like, no, but I just, but then what I found out is that problems just happen all the time. Problems give birth to problems. You got children problems and grandchildren problems. It's just problems multiply. And sometimes the more you decide to serve God, the more the problem, more problems there. 
So if I ever said to you, follow Jesus and you'll have less problems, that was wrong. Sorry about that. I was just trying to convince you to follow him. But now I got to tell you, things are tough. It might get tougher in times, but it, it's a reason to have more faith and more hope in him, trusting him. Because, oh, in Texas this summer, we moved just in time for one of their record all-time summers of heat. And so I think we had like 45 days in a row of 100 plus degrees. And um, so I was watching the guy, the weatherman, and they had had a drought. A drought in Texas is like normal rain here. <laughs> so they're like, uh, we're going to have some floods and storms. Said, and it happens all the time. Every time we have a drought, it's followed by floods. And somehow that just resonated with me. I thought, wow, that's a spiritual principle too because you go through dry times and hot times and what feels like a drought. I want you to know a flood is coming. Water is coming. Rain is coming. And I, I just want you to, to recognize that um, the reality is that he is with us in those difficult times. And I've struggled, I've had my struggles with anxiety and stress, so I understand, and I, and I, but I have decided to trust God regardless of my feelings. If I can't figure out how he's going to do what he's going to do, it's not my job to figure it out. I'm going to trust him. He can do it. James chapter 1 verse 3, it says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So don't let the challenges that you're facing, the losses, maybe some of you, the emotional things, insecurities. Some, some people struggle with anonymity. You feel like you're left out or on the outside or that you haven't been noticed or recognized. God sees you. He'll take you care of you. He'll open the door that you need opened. He'll guide you in that path. You can, you can trust him. Somehow we get this, we get an interesting perspective of strength. What strength is, is like, oh, I've got great faith in Jesus and everything's going well. I'm being strong. It's like when we used to have men's retreats we were so manly and so strong. We didn't even call them retreats. We had men's advances. <laughs> and we'd go and we'd do, and I, you know, we, we'd do all these outdoors. I'm not really an outdoorsy kind of guy, but the men, we loved it. They're like doing ropes courses and obstacle courses and tug of wars and barbecue, and we're being strong, and we're just like, and I'm like, can't we just all forgive our dads and go back home? <laughs> <laughs> but I think I have a new understanding of strength. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve him. I'm going to stay plugged in. I don't know how things are going to work out specifically, but I know he's going to move in my life. I know that there's another move of God coming. I know that it's not over in my personal life till God says it's over, and I'm going to stay grateful. I'm going to stay focused on him. I read a story 
that happened in the art museum in Paris, the Louvre, that uh, is so famous and has so many masterpieces there. And people travel from all over the world to go to this museum and see these beautiful art pieces. And so there was a man who was a, a tour guide taking a few people through the Louvre and sh stopping at different masterpieces that we would know, Rembrandt or Michelangelo or different ones. And, and so he's going along halfway through the tour and he realizes that he's lost one of his people that were in his group. So he starts to retrace his steps and he finds this man staring at a painting that he, they had passed minute, minutes ago. And the painting was called Checkmate. And I have a picture of it here I want to show you. This is a man playing chess with the devil for his soul. So the man in the red is stressing because he can't see it. And the devil is like, I got you, checkmate, you lose. So this man was staring at this picture and looking over and over, and he goes, the, the tour guide says, well, what are you doing? What's, what's the matter? He goes, this is wrong. They have to change this. He's like, well, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I'm a chess master. I've competed in competitions all over the world. I know a lot more about chess than the average person, and I want to tell you what I've figured out. He said, what? He goes, the king has one more move. The king has one more move. And I don't know if you felt like you were in checkmate, like your circumstance was over, your season has passed, you've lost what you thought you had, but I want you to know the king has one more move. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with us. He's not finished with the church. Oh God, have your way in our life. Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. I thank you for your presence here. And I pray for the manifest presence of Jesus in our lives. Heal people's hearts. Heal their souls. Let marriages be restored. Vision restored. And God, I pray today that people will have hope. Hope that is strong hope that is powerful. Oh God, let Jesus be exalted in our life. And if there's anybody in this room who's never put your faith in Jesus, you have this opportunity to do that today. I want to take a minute and pray for people here in this room as we have many times over the years. And I'm happy to pray if it's just one person. But if there's anybody in this room who've never put your faith in Jesus, you can have your own Jesus revolution right now. Yeah. I just want to ask you to pray this prayer with me in your heart. Say, Father, I thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus. And I don't have all the answers, but I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want him to be my savior. I want him to be my Lord. Forgive me of all my failures and sin. Help me to follow you. If you prayed that prayer in your heart and you meant that, I want to tell you, there's a new beginning for you. There's a new opportunity to you to follow him. You might even consider, like Pastor Julian said before, to 
be part of the water baptism today. I'm excited for where God's going to lead you. Thank you so much for letting me share with you today. God bless you. Hey, so good to hear from Pastor Philip today. I think it's such a value for all of us. Maybe it was your first time even hearing from our founding pastors. And uh, I know I took a lot away from it. Hopefully you did as well. We also have some discussion questions that you can look at right now. They're going to come up on the screen in just a few moments. But from us at Oasis, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us. We love you so much, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.